You're listening to Docs Outside the Box, 10th episode. Can you believe it? Welcome to Docs Outside the Box podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry, you're getting real live insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko. Welcome back to another episode of Docs Outside the Box. I am your host, Dr. Nee Darko. And this is not just any episode. This is my 10th episode. This is a big deal for me. This is an opportunity for me to stop and smell the roses. Back when I started the podcast back in April, for those who have been following me, I didn't know what kind of response I would get from people. I didn't know what kind of response I would get from listeners or from other physicians. And to tell you the truth, the feedback has been amazing. And to go from how I felt at episode one to how I feel now at episode 10, I mean, it's a complete 180 degree feeling, if you can describe it that way. (laughs) Um, I am so excited to get to this point. And hopefully 10 is just a small number in comparison to the larger number where we are, where I am recording podcasts in the hundreds, maybe even the thousands, if this continues to pick up. So one is I want to thank the previous guests who have been on the show. Thank you so much, particularly for coming on a show that didn't have any type of pedigree. So thank you for trusting the process. All of your episodes have been graciously appreciated by the listeners. They've loved it. So thank you for being on the show. And then also, I want to thank my listeners for sticking through the process and coming in and listening to episodes every month. And for those who want more, we're at a point where I am considering adding more um, podcasts per month. So we'll see how that goes. So stay tuned. Continue to subscribe. I really appreciate that. So that's my opportunity just to quickly smell the roses and just be happy at the point that we are at, that I am at 10 episodes for the podcast. And I don't know about you all, but I am a big fan of the Olympics and I am I'm really disappointed that it's, it's over. I have been in awe. It's been crazy watching Simone Biles and Michael Phelps and Usain Bolt, who's a complete beast winning. What's this now? I think this is his third consecutive Olympics where he's won the 100 and the 200, which has never been done before. Actually, it's never been done twice, and he's done it three times. So I just want to give props to all three of those athletes. It's impressive. I ran track in high school as well as in college, and you know I understand what it takes to, to be competitive on that level. I have no clue <laughs> what it takes to be on the other level, on the next level after that. So it, it's I, I have to give them props on that. And hey, what do y'all think about the oily Tongan? I think he's the gentleman from Tonga. I think he was in one of the martial arts uh, sports, but my wife was paying attention a little too hard at him. I was like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. What's going on? (laughs) But yeah, so um, the biggest shaking my head moment, obviously, is Ryan Lochte, which, dude, why don't you just come out and just say you lied, man? Stop all this over-exaggerated business. Um, But anyhow, overall, I was really impressed with uh, the, the athletic performances at the Olympics. I can't wait for another four years. I, For me, I, that's always been a moment where I get so excited about that. 
and I don't have a natural transition to my next content, my next topic. So I'm just going to go with it. So, <laughs> but listen, um, let's do the math real quick. So college is four years. Med school is four years. Residency, depending on which specialty you go in, is anywhere between three to five years. So if you do the math, and math is not my thing, but if you do the math, that's roughly around 11 to 13 years of hard work, determination, sacrifice towards becoming a physician. And depending on where you're getting your finances from, a lot of people are getting financing from the National Bank of Mom and Dad, um, whereas a whole bunch of other people obviously are taking out loans. We're talking about thousands if not hundreds of thousands of dollars spent to get to this point of being a physician. And as doctors, I think one thing that we all share is the same idealistic view of why we all became physicians, right? So whether it's the profession is noble, whether we want to help people, obviously there's some financial stability. We all understand all that. We all get it, right? Yada, yada. We've heard it all. But what I want to talk about is what happens when the reality of medicine, and you all know it, right? The reality of medicine, multiple patients at the same time, being overbooked, triple booked, physician burnout, poor reimbursement, frustration with dealing with insurance companies. What happens when the reality of medicine starts to taint or change the way how you look or how you fit within the system? So for some people, these feelings may start as early as med school. Some people, it may be in residency. Some people may be as an early attending or even as a late attending. But what happens when you start to have these feelings? Who do you go to? What do you do? What are you supposed to do with these feelings? So me looking at this situation, I haven't had these feelings yet, but I... I I have to admit, it, it's got to be pretty lonely and a stressful time for someone feeling that way. You've got peer pressure from your colleagues. You've got peer pressure from friends. You've got probably family pressure. You've got financial pressure. Not to mention, we're not even speaking about the other things that are related to medicine also. So this next interview is really important because it's going to talk to people who are feeling this way. And I think it's, it's an important part of medicine that now, I think with physician burnout being a major issue, with physician suicide, with just overall how physicians are doing with mental health, this one is, is an important one. So my next guest is Dr. Michelle Mudge-Riley, who is a career coach for physicians. For over 10 years, Dr. Mudge-Riley has been helping physicians find satisfaction, helping them find solutions with their medical careers, whether it's within medicine as a clinical physician or as or taking a non-traditional path. So whether you're still in training or you're 20 years out, if you go to her website, what she says is she helps doctors who are interested in completely transitioning out of clinical care. She's also interested in helping physicians who are or who may have an interest in doing some part-time work. She also helps them to enhance their leadership skills and also, she may help to enhance your career and continue to practice full-time. Um, and she, out of anyone else, should know about this topic. Why? Because when she graduated from Des Moines University, the College of Osteopathic Medicine, she started to have those feelings of, yeah, it's great to, to graduate, but I may not want to practice clinically. 
And she's very open about her story of her making it to intern year and realizing that clinical medicine and clinical practice was not for her. She went through uncertainty and pretty much all the feelings that I described earlier. She went through all of those feelings, but eventually she found her way. She found a a strong community of physicians who felt the same way as her, and she figured it all out. And these feelings helped her create her company, her coaching business called Physicians Helping Physicians. I'll leave a link in the show notes. So besides her coaching business, Dr. Mudge Riley, she's a pretty busy uh, woman. She's written a ton of articles that have been featured in a whole bunch of different uh, venues, including Kevin MD, the DO. She's been in the American Association of Physician Leadership. These are just a few, okay, just to name just a few. She also wrote the foreword and is featured in the, in the book, Physicians in Transition, Doctors Who Successfully Reinvented Themselves. And this book is now available on Amazon. So if you've always had these feelings in your head, if you know a colleague who may have had these type of feelings or still has these type of feelings, this interview is for you. So without further ado, let's get on with the interview. Welcome back to another episode of Docs Outside the Box. I am excited to bring Dr. Michelle Mudge Riley to the show, the doctor's doctor, physician who's helping doctors reach a better point in their career. And before I get too much into the nitty gritty about what you do, Dr. Mudge Riley, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me on. It's a real honor and it's exciting to be able to talk to your audience and just give them a little bit more information on maybe something that they've always been considering and that they're interested in. Um, so just to, to tell you a little about me, I am originally from Colorado. I went to an undergrad um, school, Trinity University in San Antonio, where I majored in chemistry and I ran cross country, had a great experience at Trinity, small liberal arts school, and San Antonio is a great city. I went then straight to med school, uh, an osteopathic medical school, Des Moines University in Iowa. And that was kind of the culmination of where I had always wanted to be. So I, in fourth grade, I told my dad I wanted to be a doctor. And of course, my family encouraged me towards that. And, you know, as your kid, pretty much anyone you tell you want to be a doctor is real excited and that gets you excited. And so actually getting into medical school and, and going there was such a dream for me. So it was a great four years. Um, actually, the first two years were really the best for me because when I got to the the patient rotations, I started to wonder what I was going to do because there was really no specialty that I felt like I could do for the next 40 years. And mm, okay, so that's when I met a lot of residents and attendings who hated what they did. And I found this camaraderie with all of these people who hated being doctors. And so it was a very weird time for me because here I am a medical student. I'm headed that way. Everyone's excited for me who's, who's not a doctor. And I am really finding this camaraderie with these other people who hate being doctors. And, and I can't see myself doing this for the next 40 years. Um, so it was a very confusing time, really. Um, I went ahead and finished med school, of course, and 
Um, I did very well in medical school. So I got along well with patients. My, my grades were great. I was in the top, I think, third of my class and went on to my first choice of residency. I chose pathology. I thought it would be a little bit different. So the, the irony there is that a pathologist is the doctor's doctor. You've probably heard that. And now as a physician career coach, I'm also called the doctor's doctor. So I, I kind of find that funny. Um, <laughs> but I went to Virginia for my residency, uh, VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University, also known as Virginia Health System, mm-hmm. um, Medical College of Virginia. And um, that was where I... I ended up in a, a residency that probably wasn't the best fit for me. And I ended up leaving after my first year. So I completed that first year and then left to go back to business school. And I went to business school at VCU as well. It was convenient. And um, I really thought I would run a hospital from that point. But as I kind of finished that out, I realized that wellness was something I was very passionate about. And I didn't realize at that point so much that I wanted to help other physicians with their personal wellness and their career wellness. Um, so I ended up taking a job, create having a job created for me, really, and accepting it at a brokerage firm in Richmond, Virginia, and served as the director of wellness and medical management for several years. And during that time is when I really became vocal about my story and talked about physician burnout. And it, it was a time when that topic was being more uh, communicated in the journals and in the news. And uh, so people were interested in my story and kind of just snowballed from there. People started calling me doctors and asking me for help because they hated what they did. And you know, because of my history, I, I definitely knew about that. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, can you pinpoint what exactly is it about medicine or clinical medicine that turns you off? You know, that's the really hard part. And I find that is common in the physicians who come to me. There's not just one thing. If, if there were just one thing, it would be easy. And maybe for those people that it is just one thing, they're able to pinpoint that earlier and go off in another direction. I I don't hate medicine and most physicians who want to do something else or to diversify their career don't hate medicine. They just feel this interest in doing something else and that maybe clinical practice and seeing patients over and over isn't what they're meant to do for the next 40 or 50 years. And right, right. So, so that's the hard part is you can't boil it down to one thing. And for years, I really tried to, cause I wanted to be able to tell people what it was and why I didn't want to be a traditional doctor, but I, I still to this day cannot pinpoint it to one thing. I'm sure it's, it's still a very interesting conversation having it with laymen when you tell them that you have a, a medical degree, you can practice medicine, but you don't technically practice medicine. I'm sure that's an interesting conversation. It is. And most people outside of medicine don't understand. And that's another challenging thing. It was challenging for me because I felt like a huge failure. Um, here I was very successful in medical school. It, would ho- it had always been my dream. And then I didn't want to practice. It's, it doesn't make any sense, but that's, I couldn't deny that I was miserable 
thinking about doing that for the next 40 years and, um, and actually going to work every day. And I hear that over and over from people who contact me. So it's, it's something all of us doctors kind of inherently understand, but again, it isn't just boiled down to one sentence or one reason. Right. And I'm sure there's a lot of physicians even who are practicing right now who don't understand what you're going through or maybe are afraid to say mm-hmm. <laughs> that they understand what you're going through. Um, there's a book uh, that came out called Physicians in Transition that uh, featured a quote from you or featured some writings from you. But I wanted to read that quote and um, I wanted you to describe how you felt specifically at that time. So the quote goes, I had a degree from a prestigious college, had been accepted to my top residency program had a bright future with a decent salary and job security waiting for me. And all I felt was angry and afraid. I didn't want what came with it, the practice of medicine. Take us, take us to that moment. Let us be a fly on the wall when you came to that uh, realization. And that's a scary realization. Oh yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> how many loans, how much in loans did you have at that point? Right, right. So in addition to just my own angst and uncertainty about the future, I mean, I didn't know what I was going to do for work. And I thought maybe I just didn't like work. Maybe that was my problem, but that was not my problem because I've found over the past 12 years, now I, if I could work all the time, I would. I love what I do. I love it. And it's- It's different when you have a passion for it, right? Yes, absolutely. And it's so hard because I don't regret becoming a doctor. It's such a part of me. It will always be a part of me. I love the the language of medicine, the, um, the science of it. Just, it's so interesting on so many levels, but the actual practice of medicine is different. And now with the increased administrative responsibilities, the increased legislation, and the way that the role of the doctor is changing, I can really see that many physicians with um, a, a strong intellect, an entrepreneurial spirit, even a desire for the autonomy and control over their life and career are going to be driven towards other things. And that's a very sad thing because we need good doctors. And so there are a lot of levels here, but um, at the time when I, when I wrote that quote, I had no idea what I was going to do. And my family thought I was crazy because I'm a first generation doctor. So all my father wanted me to do was to hang my shingle out and be a practicing physician. And and I knew that I could not do that for the rest of my life. So I was very stupid. I left and um, it ended up working out for me. And so that's why I do what I do now. And I, I coach physicians towards their career satisfaction and whatever that might look like, because anyone can do whatever it is they want to do. There are all shades of practice Um, from full-time being very happy, and there are ways to do that, to part-time, to practicing very minimally, but still doing something else. And some people transition completely. Um, So I work with people at all different spectrums. And myself, I have fully transitioned. I do have a small concierge practice now, which we can get to. Yeah, that's what I want to know. Tell us about your your current practice. Yeah. So about Four years ago, I saw being an entrepreneur, and I I didn't realize I was an entrepreneur, by the way, until about three or four years ago. Um, I'd had a successful business, and people kept telling me I was an entrepreneur, but 
I, I just didn't get it. And finally, I came to the point where I accept that now and I embrace it and I love it. I That is a definition of me now, doctor, entrepreneur, runner. Um, we can get to that later. Slash, yeah. slash. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Wife, mother. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's, it's interesting. Um, I saw the need for good nutrition advice. There are a lot of people out there personal trainers, um, a, a number of people giving nutritional advice to people that may be based on the latest media hype and with very little scientific background to it. As physicians, we know, yes, you can kind of go off label at times, but there's got to be evidence behind what you're telling people to do. And this, there's science behind this. So I saw a need for Education for doctors, because we don't get any nutrition education in med school or, or very little, although that, that is changing a little bit um, and hopefully it will continue to change. So I work with physicians to help bring them up to speed on their nutritional knowledge and I work with very small subset of patients who have food sensitivities and micronutrient deficiencies because I've seen how that can improve people's health. 80% of the time, people with nonspecific pain, fatigue, skin problems, headaches, um, GI problems, you remove their food sensitivities, you replenish their deficiencies, and they have never felt so good or they haven't felt this good in years. And if there's still something going on at that point, that's when they can get those other things addressed. Um, but that's a small concierge practice where I, I practice under my, my RD degree, my, um, dietitian degree. So that's three separate practices you have yeah. basically. <laughs> yeah. So one, one is the coaching business. The second is the nutrition business, um, or concierge business. And then what was the last one? I work with doctors to help them with their patients, to give them the, nutritional information that's the most up to date and to help them with their own personal nutrition because as doctors we don't have a lot of time and oftentimes we don't practice what we preach so that that's very helpful for many of our colleagues so you're juggling multiple things at the same time so tell us what's your typical day like well there really is no typical day which is part of mm. what I love about it and I right. I've seen that with so many different entrepreneurs especially physician entrepreneurs we love to juggle a multitude of things from being authors to being in the media to having a practice to maybe even um doing some peer review work and, and other things too um I think as doctors we get bored easily and I hear that from a lot of people who come to me they they just want something else to diversify their day and their career. And so that's, I love the fact that I have my hands in so many different buckets and doing so many different things. Um, that's actually how I, I do best. And I get so excited about one thing. I spend some time on it and then that gives me energy for something else. And so my typical day will start out about 5.15 a.m. when the alarm goes off and <laughs> I get up to do my workout I work wait, wait. You, are you getting up at 515 or are you snoozing? Let's be real. Yeah, yeah, I know. All right. So, so yeah, maybe it's more like 525 or 5. Yeah, that's more like it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I, so I get to the gym or I'll be, I'll lace up my shoes and um, leave the front door and go for a little run. 
Um, no matter what, that always makes my day better. So I, I typically work out six days a week. I'm, I give myself one day off and, and then I'll get down to it and I'll either start the day with a phone call. Most of my work is virtual. The, the work that I do with physicians, I work with physicians in every state and we work via phone or Skype. So I'll have two or three phone calls in the morning. Then I'll probably work on a report that I'm I'm doing for a company that I have a subcontract that I'm subcontracting to to help them with physician burnout. Um, then I eat a lot because <laughs> because I work out a lot. So right. I'll I'll have I'll have some something to eat and then um, probably have another call or. I'll head out to my office and meet with a couple of patients, go over their test results, their food sensitivity testing. And um, then I'll probably have a networking meeting with someone because I'm always looking at different opportunities and how can I help more people? Now, the field that you're in right now, what you typically do is, and you don't have to give us specifics, is it lucrative? Um, is it similar in terms of income as being a physician? Good question. I get that question quite a bit um, because physicians do make a nice salary. And so that's a fear that a lot of physicians have is if I leave the practice of medicine, how can I replace my income? And what I tell them is almost every field has as much potential as practicing medicine and sometimes more potential than what you'll be making as pra in practicing medicine. Um, I, I make a six figure salary just with all the things that I do. It's not really a salary, but you get what I'm saying. Um, right. And so, yes, there, there are so many different things that someone can do to make what they may need in order to, to make, to have the lifestyle that they want now, to be comfortable. Okay. Right, right. Now I'm not making half a million dollars. Um, not yet. <laughs> I have I have plans for another business, but so we'll see. But um in, unless you're starting a business and selling a business and then you're gonna be making millions, um, you probably aren't gonna make half a million um doing something non-clinical, but you can easily make six figures and you can be doing things that I'm not doing at all. There's medical writing. There's working for different medical device companies, biotech companies. Um, there's, yeah, the concierge practices. Um, most concierge practices don't take insurance. And so there's one way right there that you're already making more almost the first week that you're practicing because you have removed some of that um, extra expense and oftentimes way that you're not getting paid is through insurance. So, you know, and it, it, it's interesting what you said, you may not be making as much as, or you may not be making half a million dollars, but it depends on what cost, right? What's the cost? Like if it is, you're making a half a million dollars and you're in a career or you're doing a field that you can't stand, how much is that $500,000 really worth to you? And, um, I, I also think it's, it's very interesting depending on what side of the fence you sit on. Most doctors, I think, who are employed by hospitals are even underpaid anyway. So um, those who are really concerned about the salary that they're going to make, maybe stepping outside the box is an opportunity for them to even make more. I'm not saying that they all will make that, but what, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely, without a doubt. And with reimbursements going down and with more physicians becoming employed and Hospital systems and other large companies tend to underpay physicians. Absolutely, you're right about that. 
So many physicians will come to me and they'll be extremely frustrated because maybe they've been practicing for the past 15 or 20 years and they're making less now than they were when they first started. And that's just a a sign of the times and the way things are going. So yes, having a side business or some kind of something else that you're doing in addition to clinical medicine or transitioning completely can often bring in an income much greater than just a practicing salaried physician would make. All right. Well, let's, let's change direction just a little bit and get a little bit harder. Okay. (laughs) Um, Have you ever thought about going back to clinical medicine? No. Well, let me just, (laughs) let me just tell you, it's gone through my mind. I don't think that any physician who leaves hasn't thought about it from time to time because we are all physicians and it's a big piece of us to be that physician. And what does the traditional physician do? Takes care of patients and does what it is we don't want to do, but it's still, it's always something that, um, that people continue to consider. But of everyone that I've talked to that's completely transitioned, no one has ever gone back. And so it's always something you can do, but do people do it? Typically not. And there's a reason for that. Do you regret becoming a physician? Not at all. Not at all. I I said earlier that it's a part of me. It will always be. And I treasure the knowledge that I have because I'm a physician and the friendships that I've made because of it. Um, That It's a neat fraternity, sorority type relationship that physicians have because you can meet another physician. There's instant camaraderie. You understand each other almost immediately. And it's, it's just really neat to talk with other physicians and find out what they're thinking and what they're doing. So what you're doing sounds like, well, from your perspective or me hearing, hearing from you, it sounds like you're very gratified by what you're doing, but what's been the feedback from your colleagues who are in traditional medicine? Has it been positive, negative, or have they been indifferent to it? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I get the whole spectrum. There are people that think that physicians have stolen a spot from other physicians if they're not practicing, um, because if you're trained that way, you should practice. And other people will get that feedback too. And it's just part of it. Most people that I interact with, and it's probably because of what I do, um, tell me that I was lucky and that I made a decision, a smart decision early on, and they wish they would have done the same thing. So as I said, I felt like a big failure at the beginning and through the years working with other physicians and hearing their stories and seeing other physicians doing something else and being very gratified has shown me that this is not something to be ashamed of or to feel like a failure about. It's just something in our spirit that makes the traditional practice of medicine in today's day and age, not a good fit. I I really appreciate you saying that. Now, what about the, tell us about the the demographic of your most common client. Yeah. Most physicians that work with me are between 40 and 60 years old. They've been in practice for three to 10 years. That's kind of the sweet spot. Mm -hmm. So just early enough to know that or just to get a taste of how things are going and then long enough to know that, you know what, they can't see themselves maybe doing this 
for the next 20, 30 years. Yes. And many of them will tell me that they waited too long to contact me or that they've felt this way for a long time. Many of them since the first day of medical school and most of them, at least a little bit in medical school, felt this way. If you make it through med school, you're happy. You find a specialty you really enjoy and, and you enjoy it for a while. The, the reality is it's usually more because of the administrative issues and the legislative issues that you may not be that excited about practicing medicine. Um, it's the people that have thought about this a lot since, since a a long time ago, um, that, that really succeed in transitioning out of medicine. Hmm. That segues into my next question. So when is the right time for a physician to come and see you? Is there an optimal time? Is it med school early on as an attending? Usually the best time is after they've been practicing for one to two years. Because if you don't finish a residency and get board certified, you're never going to get paid as a physician, even doing something else. So Mm. I'm not going to say it's time that you've wasted because there's really no time that's been wasted if you think about it. But if you ever want to be considered a full-fledged physician and paid as such, you have to finish a residency and you have to get board certified. And then if you have hopefully three to five years of practice, because that will really set you up very well for something outside of medicine and being paid very well. But you don't have to have that amount of clinical practice. If you just cannot stomach the fact that you have to practice for five years, you barely made it through, you're finally board certified, um, you know, that that would be okay. I, I tell medical students and residents to finish, because unless you're in the first first year or second year of med school, you've already come so far that it's worth it to finish. Now, earlier in the interview, you mentioned that you really couldn't pinpoint what was the, I guess, the nexus or what was the catalyst for you saying that you did not want to practice clinically. Is there a common theme among your your clients? Um, You know, is it burnout, loss of autonomy? Are they just bored? Is there something that you can pretty much pinpoint is the main issue with your clients and why they come and see you? Yeah. The the main thing is really that they've always considered something else and Mm, maybe they've, they've finished, they've been practicing even for 10 or 15 years, but it's always been in the back of their head that they've been wondering what else is out there? What else can I do? And so even with the loss of autonomy or the boredom, which I do hear about from other physicians, and I see that's a common thing. Um, even the most highly trained hand surgeon gets bored doing the same thing over and over, and I get that. Um, There's only so many carpal tunnels you can release. Right, huh? right, exactly. <laughs> even the most intricate heart surgery, you do it over and over, and it just becomes daily thing and, and almost boring. And It doesn't make any sense to people outside of medicine, but most doctors will get that. What about clients that hmm, aren't that don't follow what you tell them to do? Have you ever had to fire clients? <laughs> um, I have had. <laughs> <laughs> give us some. Give us some good stories. Come on. I now. have had some people that I've wanted to fire. <laughs> so the way that I work with people is we become friends and colleagues, and um, so I stay in touch with pretty much everyone that I've ever worked with. Um, there are some people that. I will give a lot of information to, and they won't follow through on the information. 
And then they'll ask me for more, which is fine. I'll give them more. But if they're not following through on anything and then telling me that I'm not helping them, that's a problem. And it's something that I've had to work through with several clients. So I've never actually fired a client, but I have seriously considered. (laughs) (laughs) Now, do you find that, um, do you you find that most of your clients, obviously there's got to be a wall there, like maybe not really seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Do you find yourself having to convince them a lot that there is a better way to do things? For example, you mentioned that they may not follow a lot of the instructions that you give. Do you think that's because they're just, you know, hard-headed, stubborn? Or do you think it's that's something that's just innate in all of us? Like we have spent the last 12 years, you know, being, you know, single focused, minded on one thing, and we get to that point and then we realize that this may not be for us and maybe we just have a hard time transitioning to thinking like entrepreneurs or people who are in within the business realm. Do you think that's the issue or? No, not at all. Because the, the people <laughs> that end up coming to me are so desperate and so interested in finding out how they can figure out what else is out there and actually pursue it that that is never the case. I don't have to convince anyone to be an entrepreneur or to look at other options because they wouldn't continue to work with me if that wasn't their ultimate goal. Really, it's fear. The The thing that holds them back is fear. Mm. So when I'm helping someone to create their resume and their cover letter, which is always part of it, um, to put together a good social media presence, to think about their personal brand and to kind of do a SWOT analysis, strengths, weakness, opportunities, threats on themselves and their situation. The people that don't follow through on those things really at the end of the day are very fearful of actually transitioning or doing something else, even though that's what they want. So it's it's tough. Um, I do serve as a support system and there is a lot of emotional um, pieces to this and that's part of my role. But at the end of the day, this is about helping someone to objectively transition. And once it kind of gets more into the psychological and only psychological side of it, then I have to reel it back in and, and remind people that this is the path. And if you don't want to do this, that's okay. That's a good realization to make, but that is something that you've decided. And so it's up to you to think about how you want to approach things now. So is it more when you're working with your clients, are you doing more of a psychological assessment and kind of reworking of them? Or do you have like a list of corporations or, or places that your clients can go and work with? Or do you just see yourself mainly trying to just change the psyche of the physician and then letting them kind of go through a process of self-realization and then figuring it out on their own? Yeah. So really none of those things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm way off, huh? <laughs> it's really more of a coaching mentoring relationship. Mentoring mm-hmm. because I've been through it myself and coaching because I have some coaching certification and, and I help people get to where they want to be by empowering them to do the things that they need to do. So the things that we work on together, as I mentioned, are 
the cover letter, the resume, the social media presence, the options. What are your options? And I have a number of different ways that I help physicians to understand what all their options are. Marry those with your interests. And again, that SWOT analysis. And then we start talking to people. So networking is a huge component of this. And that scares many physicians, but that's something that we work on. And I help with even the smallest nitty gritty detail, such as, you know, how do I follow up with someone if they haven't gotten back to me in a week? Do I let it go? Do I bug them? How many times do I bug them? I mean, these are very seemingly simple questions, but they aren't really when you get down to it and you start doing this networking and people are busy and um, there's a lot coming at them all the time. So helping empower physicians on how to network and how to reach out is a big piece of this. I often do use a lot of my own contacts and put other physicians that work with me in touch with those contacts, but I never guarantee that. So I will never guarantee someone a job and I will never guarantee someone a networking connection because that's, I feel inappropriate. It often happens and I have gotten people directly into jobs, but that's been because of their hard work and I'm the catalyst and it's, it's a very natural process. Now you mentioned social media and you pressure your clients to, to use social media. Why so? Do you think that that's the new frontier or? Social media is essential now. Many physicians are afraid of it and I get it. Um, but I definitely am. <laughs> it, LinkedIn is, is not hard. There are a couple of just tips and tricks that make it pretty easy. And you have to have a profile on LinkedIn because I think one of your other guests, stated that's the first thing that comes up when you're Googled. And it's probably not always going to be that way, but that's the way it is right now. So having that presence, understanding and knowing Twitter, being on Twitter, Facebook is sometimes more of a personal thing. So it's not necessarily something people have to be on, but those professional networking sites are pretty important. Let's do some role play now with that. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So what's your advice for, let's say, a 36-year-old cardiothoracic surgeon, heart surgeon, fresh out of fellowship, and look, he, he's just not feeling it. He can't see himself cracking chest you know, for the next 25 to 30 years. He has an interest in entrepreneurship, and he comes to see you. What do you do for him? Yeah. So this is, this is not uncommon. I will chat with him, find out his situation. And really what his expectations are and what he's looking for. And if what he's looking for is to discover and explore his opportunities in entrepreneurialism, maybe starting a business, maybe joining a business that his family owns or that he knows about starting something with his friends, we will actually explore that and take steps into doing that. I never encourage someone to leave their practice immediately even though it's an extra thing to have to do some of these other things when you're thinking about transitioning, it's always good to stay where you're at and do these things on top of it because it emotionally, it helps the physician. There's not this immediate you know, going from working as a physician to, to not and having to have this extra income and how do you pay the rent, all that kind of stuff. But it also helps them safely explore things. And then you can you know, put a toe in the water then put a foot in the water, put a leg in the water, 
things are working, things are going well. So that's when you maybe put half your body in the water, you're still practicing a little, then sometimes people fully jump in and and they do leave the practice of medicine. So you don't recommend cannonballing in basically? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's, and, and that's what I want to ask you. So uh, for example, this, this, um, this CT surgeon, the process of, of, of him leaving, you, do, so you don't recommend he jump right into or cannonballing right into it. So for doctors who come to see you who are expecting to transition, do they or should they look at it like other jobs? You know, I don't know, someone who's in a corporate field and he's looking to change jobs. It probably on average would take, what, three to six months for them to find a new job. Should physicians look at at transitioning out of medicine into a non-traditional field the same way, the same timeline? Should they save the same amount, three to six months of expenses, maybe even longer? Tell us about, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a great question. Physicians transitioning is unlike any other field. And that's part of the value of a physician coach or mentor. And there are others besides me. So I'm not just saying this because this is what I do. As a physician, you have a unique skill set and a unique interest and intellect that makes you different from almost every other field and population. Um, Not to say we're better than anyone else. It's just the way physicians are and our training and our background. So it usually takes a year for a physician who's starting from ground zero to get to the point where they know what they want to do and doing it. It, wow. it can be faster. It really can. I've had physicians come to me who have fully transitioned within two to three months. That is rare, but it happens. And it happened recently, um, actually, to another physician I just worked with. These people are pretty extraordinary, but they, anyone could be that way. It's, it's I want them on a show. Let's put them on a show <laughs> or her on a show. <laughs> it's a combination of, of luck, timing, um, just a lot of things, geographic location, interests. and But for most physicians, like I said, there's an emotional piece to this and leaving medicine is a big deal. And it not only maybe for them, but for their family and maybe they're the sole breadwinner. And that's a very scary thing for a lot of families and a lot of spouses. There is a need to really explore all your options because oftentimes there's fear from physicians that they're going to make a, a second mistake, another mistake, and they're going to get into something else they hate. And that's a really big fear from people. So while we can't completely mitigate that, we can do things to make sure that you don't get yourself into a worse situation or another bad situation. And that's my goal, really, to help physicians get to the point where they're happy with their career and their life. And that looks different for everybody based on geographics, financial needs, interests, age, um, so many different things. Interestingly, gender and specialty really don't factor in too much. So any specialty can do anything and any gender can do anything. Um, It's those other things that really uh, make a a difference. Let's go to the other spectrum now. Let's say we have a 57-year-old married OB-GYN physician. She has spent her entire career developing an amazing practice. She's the best OB-GYN doc in, the, in her town. But over time, she's lost autonomy. Her reimbursements have decreased. And she pretty much has a less than desirable social life. She's at work all the time. What's your advice for her? Yeah, this is a opposite end of the spectrum. and Right. Remi- like where she may be thinking it's maybe too late. Yeah, reminds me mm-hmm. of several of my clients as well. 
This one, we approach in somewhat of the same way, but a little differently. I really talk to these people pretty extensively about why they want to transition and why they want to do something else. Because at this point, thinking about a brand new career is very scary and even maybe not practical. It's Unless you want to be working until you're 80 and you're in perfect health, it's probably not practical to transition to, say, the financial industry or something else. Oftentimes with these sorts of clients, there's a side business or there's an element of figuring out how to step back a little bit and still continue with their practice. But stepping back and how to do that and what that looks like, um, that's a big part of what we talk about and how we work together. And most people end up very happy with a little bit of stepping back and having something else on the side that they're doing. All right. So we've made it past role play. We're done with that. And we're getting towards the end of the conversation. So I'm going to ask you some quick, fast questions. Okay. All right. You ready? ready. All right. So what's one thing you want listeners to get from this podcast? If you've ever considered something else, you've got to explore this because it's never going to go away. That's a common theme I hear from people. What can the audience expect from you in 10 years? I will still be changing the lives of many physicians and maybe some patients, and I'll probably be starting my fourth business. <laughs> wow. Serial entrepreneur. That's right. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if you listen. I think you've listened to a show before episode three, um, but in my other shows, obviously in order to do this job, I have to do a bunch of stalking. So I stalked you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know that you're an avid runner. I used to run also in college. Um, so we're kindred spirits there. Um, but what do you do for fun? Are you still running marathons? I have really dialed back the marathons as I've gotten older. It's a little bit harder on my body, so I can't run every day, but I love to work out. So as I mentioned, I still work out six days a week. I lift, I run, I stair mill, I do all kinds of different things. I run half marathons, still somewhat competitively, and I may still run another marathon or two, but no guarantees there. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Here's a tough one. So knowing what you know now, what advice would you have given to yourself as a pre-med? Take some time to explore other things. Med school will be there. Definitely travel. Definitely work retail. Work some blue collar jobs so that you have a better understanding of how the world works and what you want out of life. That's excellent. That's amazing. I like that actually. All right. So the last thing that I want you to answer is this sentence that I've been asking all of the physicians on the show. So it starts with, I'm not just a doc, I'm a, and you can finish it with anything you want. Any adjective. Entrepreneur and a doctor's doctor. Excellent. Excellent answer. Well, Michelle, I want to take an opportunity to acknowledge you. I do this at the end of all of my interviews with physicians. I think we don't do enough acknowledgement of each other and all the successes um, and challenges that we all go through. But I want to take a moment to acknowledge you um, for not backing down and facing your fears, not waiting to see if things would get better um, and eventually becoming part of the system and having this hatred and this um, feeling of, of regret that would, you know, 
reflect on your patient care and so forth. Um, so I want to acknowledge you for that. But I also want to acknowledge you for being a beacon of light for all the physician clients that you have, using your talents to help other physicians who felt the same as you and who have come to a similar understanding that you have. And maybe your ability to be a beacon of light has allowed them to have a sense of control that maybe they felt was missing in their life bef- before. So thank you again for what you do. I want to acknowledge you for what you're doing. And I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap. Episode 10 is officially over. She dropped gems, dimes, bombs, whatever you want to call it. She dropped mad knowledge for everyone, for you all to to learn from. And I'm really interested to know what you thought about this episode. Remember, you can leave feedback in many forms with me. Um, if you leave form, if you leave feedback on iTunes, remember it really helps the show to grow. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to read two pieces of feedback that I got from iTunes. The first one is from Dabble Do, spelled D-A-B-L-D-O-O. Can't tell if it's a guy or girl, but definitely he or she left me five stars. And they say unique and definitely outside the box. This is really this is a really cool perspective, and Nee does a great job of selecting interesting topics and speakers. So Dabble Do, thank you very much. Appreciate the five stars. The next one is from Dr. K7788. Five stars. He or she says, awesome podcast. Thanks for sharing this. I'm a fellow doctor and I really, or excuse me, I get really inspired hearing what other things people are doing. Keep up the great work. So Dr. K7788 and Dabble Do, thank you very much for the five-star ratings. It really helps. Everybody remember to subscribe for the latest and greatest from this podcast. I got many more great guys for you. Hit me up on Twitter at DocsOTB. Remember, that's D-O-C-S-O-T-B as in boy. I also have a Facebook page, Docs Outside the Box. Also, you could always hit me up on email, DocsOTB at gmail.com. And before we go, remember to always live outside the box.